Warning, the following content is not politically correct. Viewer discretion is advised. Hi, welcome back, everybody. So today I have another great guest, um, candidate for U.S. Senate um, in the Libertarian Party, Chase Oliver. Welcome. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining. I know you wanted to come on today because we had had a few uh, discussions about, you know, current supply chain issues. I know you work in supply chain um, and my background is also in supply chain. So um, I think uh, we can we can talk about, you know, what the issues are and from a more uh, and, and what the solutions are from a, from a practical standpoint. Um, but before we kind of get into that, I do want to talk to you because I know just recently you went and met Andrew Yang um, and I want to kind of know how that went, um, how after he announced that he was starting this third party and you as a third party candidate, how, how do you uh, how do you think that went? Well, um, first, I want to say I think it was a great meeting. It was a great event. Um, you know, I think Andrew Yang is somebody who in 2020 on the Democratic side didn't really kind of totally fit into the Democratic candidate slot like he didn't really he was kind of a square peg in a round hole amongst that group of candidates um and that was because a lot of times he talked about things like uh market solutions and he's he's a he's an avowed capitalist so there's lots of things that i like about the guy uh, he's an entrepreneur and uh, he's somebody who recognizes that there are problems and tries to find solutions to those problems now um i will say uh, I'm glad he has dumped the duopoly. I'm glad he's starting his own party. I think, you know, uh, in a perfect world, we would have a coalition of a lot of different parties kind of coming together to govern. And uh, so I welcome the Ford party into the movement. And I'm glad that uh, he's finally caught up with a lot, what a lot of libertarians have been thinking, which is like ranked mm -hmm. choice voting is where we need to head, um, breaking down the duopoly uh, one brick at a time is a great, you know, and uh, I don't agree with him on everything, right? Like I'm not a UBI guy, yeah. um, though, I, though I will say there is that uh, the Milton Friedman school of the negative income tax that is like, that's how I try to bring those uh, those UBI folks kind of more towards libertarianism. <laughs> it was like, well, we kind of talked yeah. about this a while ago, but here's a different version of it. And uh, But even though we don't agree on everything, it was a great meeting. And uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that he's trying to wake people up that the duopoly parties, the Democrats and Republicans, are basically uh, two sides of the same coin. Andrew Yang is also a huge pro wrestling fan like I am. So um, <laughs> I like to describe uh, what the duopoly parties do as total pro wrestling. Like it's like you have your heels and your baby faces and they go out there and they fight each other in front of the crowd and they make a big bunch of noise and they, they throw each other around. But then as soon as they get back behind the curtain, they're like, yeah, man, we really got over on those marks and let's go have a drink together. Yeah, really he actually... Really he highlighted that. Yeah, he definitely highlighted that a lot when he kind of announced this whole thing. He said he just couldn't fit in because it was like you trash these people on the stage. And then all of a sudden you, behind behind closed doors, you guys are like best friends. And so which is basically he said the quiet part out loud. We all kind of already knew that for a long time. Um, yeah, I think it's it's it is. It's really interesting. Like we've been it's definitely like ranked choice voting and stuff like that is stuff that we can definitely work on i think he's actually become a big proponent and a big voice that has been pushing that even if it's just more to his more left-leaning fan base um i know he he actually had a lot of libertarian supporters 
Um, I have agreed with him on, on, on quite a bit of stuff, but UBI is is absolutely it's out there and it's more of a socialist construct. But for the most part, I think that he is somebody that we can work with. Um, and the more the more parties, the better, right? Yeah. And it is funny you mentioned uh, pro wrestling because uh, you started the pro wrestling caucus in the Libertarian Party, right? <laughs> I believe I'm a founding member. I don't think I'm the founder. I think that goes to uh, it goes to some other great folks out there, but I'm definitely a very proud member. And uh, yeah, one, our uh, our unofficial world champion Ashley Shade, she just got elected to office up there in Massachusetts. And uh, Dan Lewis is a big, huge member. He's the guy who always, if you ever watch LNC meetings on the Zoom. He's always the guy who gets in public comment and makes sure to shout out the uh, pro wrestling caucus here in the libertarian party. But yeah, uh, I love that caucus because it's a great group of people that likes the, uh, likes the entertainment factor of pro wrestling. But then we also recognize <laughs> how much politics really is like that. And then of course, we're always trying to get Glenn Jacobs to become a libertarian and uh, to really join the caucus and really lead the caucus. Cause you know, no one better than Kane to, uh, to lead the libertarian pro wrestling <laughs> caucus. If he makes that switch uh, over to the LP. Um, that's, yeah, I, yeah uh, that's, it's that's a lot awesome. of fun. <laughs> you so know, overall, uh, what are your, uh, your impressions of the election this past week? I know there's been a lot, I've said a lot on Twitter, so there's, there's quite a bit. So, um, I think there's kind of two sides to the coin here. I think first, um, first you got to talk about the fact that we have 150 new elected libertarians across the country. Uh, the vast majority of them. Uh, and even more, it'll probably be more than 150 by the time it's all calculated. The vast majority of that coming from Pennsylvania, who uh, their state party utilized what's called the Moulton Maneuver. Uh, Dr. Moulton up there in the state party and the state party leadership basically identified a bunch of races where they were either one candidate running or no candidate running in some of these races, where it would just basically be write-ins. And we made sure to field libertarians in those races. And so now we're going to have libertarian auditors, constables, judges of elections, mayors, uh, selectmen, council people. So we, we're really building, you know, not, when I say we, I mean the Libertarian Party, but it's really the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania who just built a huge bench of talent for their future elections. So now when someone runs, they can say, hey, I'm ready to be a state representative. I was already a mayor of my small town or my city. Um, and th that's something that voters look at and go, okay, that guy's got experience. That lady's got experience. And so that's a way I think, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to say right now, I hope Georgia finds their own version of the molten maneuver and we can start building up our bench of support from the local grassroots level of local government. Because uh, I think as libertarians, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we want the most, you know, we want the most active government to be the most localized, decentralized from the federal government government there is. And that is your local city or your town people you know your neighbors um and it, you know uh i think that's the group that will most secure your individual rights i mean back to glenn jacobs yeah. you see he's standing up against uh the osha mandates in his county right now good for him um so yeah. that's great and then as far as the uh the gubernatorial elections and the elections in virginia and new jersey i think both the duopoly parties are getting the complete wrong impression uh for out of that the republicans in virginia are saying Ah, see, we we were great, and we just need to keep doing what we're doing. MAGA on, let's keep going. When in reality, their candidate was like the Republican who was trying to push as far away from Trump as he could while not insulting their base. And then Democrats, they're like, oh, the reason we lost is white supremacy and racism. Yeah, and it's because people <laughs> want to 
because people want to be racist in schools. And it's no, it's that parents really got turned off by Terry McAuliffe's statement that, you know, uh, you, you, can call, you can call it a gaffe, you can call it a mistake. I mean, whatever you want to call it. He shouldn't, he should not have said that parents don't have a control over kids' education. That's a stupid thing to say. Um, I think yep. it's stupid for anyone to say. I think parents have more control and should have the most control over education of their kids, yep. period. Uh, other than, you know, the kid themselves who, you know, I, I think uh, yep. at a certain age, kids need to direct their own education for sure. And uh, I do love self-directed learning. That's a great model to create the, uh, the smart yep. thinkers, the free thinkers of tomorrow. Yeah. And that's what's really interesting about um, that, too, is it was that he made that statement on top of um, the attorney general now going after, you know, parents as possible, you know, domestic terrorists. I think those two things coupled together kind of created that that perfect storm. And and yes, parents are going to protect their kids on all costs. Um, mm -hmm. And I think. Uh, so Spike was on Kennedy this week, and I actually have the tweet that I actually pulled from that. And so I just tweeted out this notion that libertarians can't win uh, needs to be put to rest because we went from over 300 um, libertarians to now maybe over 500. Um, mm -hmm. I said, this is how you grow the party. You know, we have these grassroots um, and we, we grow it via the grassroots like we did in Pennsylvania, like we hopefully do here in Georgia. You pick these small races. I said the sexes, the sexy races like president and everything like that, they help push the platform, the party platform. But the magic really happens in the in the, in the local races. And that is um, they are the most important when it comes to your everyday lives. Mm -hmm. And I will also just say that Spike Cohen said, bingo, run across the board, celebrate the wins. So absolutely. And I, and you know, um, and I absolutely believe that school of thought, especially considering I want to be our U S Senate candidate. Uh, that's one of the yep. quote unquote sexy races, I guess, <laughs> one of the ones that push the platform. And we're talking about education right now. And I will say that if I'm the candidate who is on stage on the debate stage, uh, with the Democrat and the Republican, you're going to have a candidate on stage who absolutely is an advocate. Who's not going to talk about what government school is going to teach. What, what I'm going to be advocating is that we decentralize government education altogether and that we get rid of the Department of Education. We bring that back to the states to create 50 laboratories of innovation all across the country. Uh, and, you know, if I was a personal, uh, if I had, if I could wave a magic wand and change the way education was, I'd immediately move to uh, start decentralizing things. And the way you get to that is through school choice for parents. So instead of uh, tying those tax dollars to school systems and to actual schools, what you do is you tie those tax dollars for the most part to the actual student themselves. So, and, and there's a way to transition this to where those who do not have the option to leave the public school system are still left well-funded, uh, able to get the best education you're gonna get out of a public school um, while allowing people the choice. And the way you do that is you do a 90-10 uh, split. So basically 90% uh, of the funding goes to the student and goes to whatever school they wanna go to, whether it be a public school, private school, homeschool, uh, whatever kind of school, Montessori, whatever kind of uh, educational philosophy you want your kids, especially your kids to be choosing for themselves, 90% of the funding goes there and you leave that remaining 10% to go to the public school. And basically what happens there is, is as people leave the public school system, as they leave, because they will, trust me, in Atlanta, people are dying to get out of the failing public school systems. Uh, you know, So as people leave that school system, those who can't don't have the option to they're gonna be left with that remaining 10% going back into the pool. And so each student remaining is better left funded per student than they were uh, under the current system. So 
you transition people out, let them get right out of the public school system and to those uh, other avenues of education. And for those who don't have that option, who remain, uh, the lights are left on, there's enough teachers to teach them, and they're actually funded better per student than they are under the current system. That is how I would transition ourselves away from public education, because once people see the market effects of education and they see the options out there beyond public school, people will make it a priority to get out of the public school system. And eventually it will not be an institution that's needed anymore. Uh, you know, we don't have the Pony Express anymore because uh, we have FedEx and, and uh, you know, UPS and all kinds of other ways to deliver. So uh, we don't have the Pony Express anymore. We don't need public education if we can prepare the uh, get ourselves ready for a world of market based privatized education that allows parents to have those choices. Um, that's where I think we need to move. But yeah, you will have a candidate up there not arguing about is this government school teaching CRT? Is it not teaching CRT? I'm going to say, how about we just let parents and students decide what school they go to and what is taught there? That's the yeah. way to do it. That's liberty and that's freedom. So, uh, you know, it is a sexy race, the U.S. Senate race. And I'm <laughs> ready, ready, ready to get on a debate stage and really articulate the libertarian position and how we can get there in a realistic way, um, starting in the United States Senate by removing the Department of Education. Yeah, that's what we so. we absolutely need to do. I know there and there has been a lot of talk about that. And there's I actually had somebody saw somebody yesterday say when somebody raised that, it said it, that you know, those tax dollars should be attached to the child and not the school. Somebody said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then it, it was like a dog pile on that person. Like, are you serious? Like, why are you afraid of the competition? Um, public schools need competition. Um, I know even, even in a school choice system, um, like where I grew up, we, we had, you could go to a different school but they only had like three or four slots K through 12 period. So only, only a handful of students could, um, could even go to your that school and we had a very good highly rated public school um, and then it's amazing because you see that private schools do so much better with the amount of funding that they get and again I can go back to Flint Michigan where I'm actually from and say Flint public schools gets more dollars per student than just about any other school in the state and they have the have the highest dropout rate whereas Flint Powers, which is the uh, the private Catholic school right down the road, they get, I mean, they, they don't get any government funding or very little, and their tuition is not that high, and yeah. and they are one of the top schools in the state. Same area, same students, um, different funding, and, and you get a completely different result. Well, and and uh, one of the untold stories about the whole uh, the whole supporting of decentralizing education and getting away from the public school system model is uh, there's a lot of teachers out there who really hate teaching to the system that they're teaching right now. They're teaching to the test. They're basically um, getting kids ready to fill in bubbles on Scantron sheets, and uh, that's about it. And they're not really teaching the critical thinking skills yeah. and the and the skills like um, you know how to balance a checkbook, how to open up a bank account, how to start a business. These are things that we could really be teaching our high school students, especially um, that they're just not getting because the public school system doesn't stress those things. And uh, if you if parents had a choice uh, and teachers had a choice, I think a lot of teachers would go to a school where they can say, you know what, let's teach real world lessons, things that are actually going to help people survive in the real world, as opposed to some of these uh, abstract concepts that a lot of public school systems force. And, and you're right. And, and, and I will say some of these classes are needed. 
right? There are some classes that are like, you're going to go to a four-year college or, or get your master's degree or your doctorate degree in something. And you might need to take these more advanced courses. Uh, and you know what? There are other people who might say, you know what? We need to teach more to trade schools and towards apprenticeships and, and real world labor. And uh, I'm, I think there needs to be a world in which both those schools yeah. exist, are well-funded, and parents can choose. And more importantly, again, students can choose what school they go to. You know, I think uh, I, someone asked me this the other day. So when you decentralize, you know, when, when, does the, when does it become the parents' right and the students' right? And uh, I said, you know, that's, a, that's a kind of a question that each individual community is going to have to answer. I imagine, uh, you know, I imagine communities like my my hometown might be different than, say, New York City, which might be different than, say, the Inuit community in Alaska, which might be different than, say, um, a community in California. So, again, the, the beauty of decentralization is, is I don't have all the answers. Those answers will come when your local communities meet. But I think yeah. I wouldn't want my five-year-old daughter to be making every decision she makes about what school she goes to. But I think my 15-year-old niece... She absolutely should be able to help decide where she goes. And I think at a certain point, that's where the tax must. She should be deciding, not their parents. Yeah. It's her future and it's her life and uh, she should be deciding. Yeah. So there, yeah. there's a fine line there. And Martha echoed the same thing when she was on here last week. Uh, more trade schools, more stuff like that. But it has to be, it has to be, if, that, if, if you, if you want to go post high school education into a trade, why not start while you're in school? You should be able mm -hmm. to make that choice. Um, I know there are some areas where they have um, like a single school that kids go to. That's what we had. We had a single school that kids would leave during a certain period and go over to this other school, which taught those technical skills. But mm -hmm. it wasn't something that was highly pushed or even highly utilized. Um, um, and, and it wasn't. I mean, you could almost take your whole senior year and go to a trade school, which would be amazing. So like you said, it's it's a local issue. Um, I think what people forget is this is part of the duopoly kind of being exactly the same, right? Is a lot of this federal involvement in schooling started under the Bush administration when he enacted Common Core and, and all these standardized testing models and everything like that. That was the start of what we're seeing right now. And it's kind of coming to a head because now the Democrats have taken that mantle. So it's mm -hmm. just another of the duopoly party politics um, the, doing the same things. And the biggest scam is, is that what the Department of Education does is they they take your tax money, take your tax money, and then they dole it back to the states. They say, here's a dollar with a dollar and 10 cents of regulation tied to it of what you have to do and how you have to do things. And so what we're doing in reality is we're creating a system where um, you're both dependent on the federal government for those grants, but then also you're having to pony up for all their extra bullshit that they put into it. Yeah. So it becomes like a, it's a very stupid system. And uh, it's one of the things that I think um, parents are now finally waking up to. And maybe, maybe the one good thing about this 2021 election, because, you know, I'm not really happy when duopoly candidates do well. Sorry. I want Republicans to lose. <laughs> I want Democrats to lose. It's just the way I feel about it. Um, but the one good thing I think about out of this is that there might be, more people looking at decentralizing education in the long run. And uh, that's a success. That's a good thing. And that's something that we libertarians can run on and actually take the forefront on and say, hey, we were there all along. Just like uh, as the yeah. as the cannabis industry, right, is starting to open up all over the country, rightfully libertarians are able to say, hey, we've been there since 1971. And uh, we actually know how to do it better than a lot of these blue states who are doing it because they're adding a bunch of regulations and a bunch of licensures and a bunch of things that make it even harder and you're still buying black market weed from your dude down the corner. So um, I think libertarians should rightfully also take the lead on these education uh, 
uh, priorities as well and and start becoming the uh, the thought leaders in the movement. So, and, and you're right, it does start with a lot of these local things. Board of Education. If you are somebody who believes in the decentralization of education uh, and run for Board of Education, especially if you're a PTA parent who's very popular with the other parents in the area, run for Board of Education. Uh, help free your child from uh, from terrible schooling uh, one, one election at a time. Yeah, and I think I'll kind of close out the, the election stuff and just say, um, absolutely, I think that was a big thing is a lot of these Republican candidates, the reason why they won were because of libertarian politics. Uh, they were pushing libertarian policies, even though a lot of their other policies, and those were the big policies that were winning the day. That's the West. So it was a big night for libertarians um, in the sense of the policies that were popular. Unfortunately, the sure that we can tie it to our party. <laughs> and unfortunately, the National uh, Republican Party is going to get the complete has the complete wrong idea about it. Is now saying, "Oh, well, this must mean that we have to keep doing the MAGA stuff." And it's like that's actually the opposite. And exactly. if they were exactly. if they were to actually go towards more libertarian ideas, uh, that would be a better thing, I guess. I suppose you know that would be a great thing. I just don't see it happening on a national level. Unfortunately, yeah. they're going to learn the wrong lessons, yeah. just like the Democrats are learning the wrong lessons. Yeah. Uh, and come 2022, I think uh, the Democrats are in for a shellacking if they don't yeah. uh, get the right lessons very quickly. Um, that's just kind of my final thought. I on think that. you're right. And it, and it is really interesting because you you came from the left, right? I mean, I don't think that's that's something that we should actually kind of address is because I came from the right. So I see things from a little bit different lens than you. And you came from the left. Um which is really oh, yeah. it's the best thing about our party because we can have these great conversations and we tend to agree on so much, but you know how to reach people on the left. And I also know how to reach people on the right. Um, and somehow we bring them to our party. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about, about our policies is it can attract everybody. Yeah. What brought me to politics was being anti-war. And of course, uh, in the, in the time that I came of age, that was the war on terror and that was being led by the Bush administration. So I was a hardcore, uh, Democratic voter pushing for, uh, you know, candidates that I thought were going to end the wars. And what disillusioned me from the Democratic Party is uh, is probably their most popular candidate for president that they ever had in my lifetime. And that is Barack Obama when he got elected and he didn't close Gitmo. He started drone bombing more and started intervening into more nations. And that's when I realized that duopoly is just a joke. And, uh, and that's kind of what brought me to libertarianism, because a couple years later, I was uh, inclined to never vote again. I was like, I'm just done with this. And uh, I was wandering around uh, Atlanta Pride and uh, there was the Libertarian Party of Georgia right there. They were they were trying to get people in there to take the world's smallest political quiz and convince <laughs> the LGBT community in Atlanta that they're a little bit more libertarian than they might think. And uh, I happened to get stopped and talked to John Mons for a few minutes and uh, he convinced me to vote for him for governor. And that's where I've been ever since. So uh, yeah. I really got to say, I really got to thank the Democratic Party for dropping the ball on being an anti-war party because they got me to wake up to the fact <laughs> that the duopoly is a joke. I would have, of course, yeah. preferred that they were an anti-war party and actually ended some wars. But uh, in the meantime, I'm going to fight the Libertarian Party, which is the yeah. biggest and largest anti-war party in this country. So if you want to end war and death and bombing brown people all over the world, Join the Libertarian Party. Go to LP.org. That's my that's my free plug. <laughs> that's, that's your that's your spiel. Yeah, I mean, I was mm -hmm. I was very similar. I was the opposite though. I was um, more into economics and everything like that. 
business, everything. And I was a Tea Party conservative. And then I we got all these people elected and they were voting for big spending bills and all this stuff. And they continued to do it through. And that's when you start realizing again, what do we, what do we vote you guys in for? Yeah. Um, and so that's why I started pushing more towards the liberty side of stuff. And then uh, I couldn't vote for... I couldn't vote for Libertarian Party uh, in 2016, but I didn't vote for it. I didn't vote for the other two either. But on to other topics. <laughs> well, well, I will say, you know, um, the other thing that kind of got me into more libertarian policies, I don't know if you can hear the siren around me, but uh, the other thing that got me more into libertarian policies is uh, criminal justice reform. And, you know, we're talking about these sexy races, these uh, platform pushing races. And I got to run for Congress last year. Uh, in a special election because, uh, you know, I live here. I, I at the time I lived in Atlanta and uh, John Lewis had passed away. So they had a special election mm -hmm. to fill his term. And so uh, I jumped in. I was the libertarian candidate in a field of seven candidates, all of them being Democrat or Democrat leaning. Yeah. And uh, I made sure that throughout that race, I pushed our platform hard on criminal justice. And one of the things that happened throughout that race, and you can even see it if you go really back and look through like the, the, some of the forums and and debates that i did uh they're on zoom and a lot of times it's like what i call the brady bunch view where you can see everybody it's like a grid of nine yeah. people um and when i'm speaking a lot of the time people are nodding their head like oh yeah i totally agree with that in qualified immunity yeah yeah and let's end cash bail because it is it is a two-tier justice system you know, let's uh let's start ending the drug war let's end no knock raids like these things that i fought for a lot of people were agreeing with um no one was talking about ending cash bail in that race until i started talking about it and then uh, throughout the race, in forums, it would be like, okay, well, let's talk about uh, criminal justice reform, including ending cash bail. And that became a topic of conversation. And uh, it pushed the candidates who were there, I think, to be more forceful on criminal justice and to actually push those platforms because they didn't want to lose their audience. They didn't want to lose their voters. And so they said, oh, man, this libertarian's coming in and talking a lot about these things that people have been marching in the streets for. we got to start talking about it, too. And so one of the things you can do with these more high profile platform pushing races is actually push the uh, duopoly candidates to promise to say things and then uh, that are more libertarian than they meant to be. And then you got to hold them accountable if they do, if and when they do get elected, right? If you don't win the race, you have to yeah. hold them accountable and say, you said during that debate to the libertarian candidate, you were going to do this. Are you a liar? And that's how you can push the politics, even if you don't necessarily win the race. You can push the discussion and you push the Overton window towards liberty. And that's one of the things I think all candidates, statewide, presidential candidates, we need to be pushing that Overton window. And I think uh, I think Spike and Joe, to a great effect, uh, did the best they could in an, in an age of pandemic campaigning to push the Overton window a little bit more yeah. towards liberty. So I, I, I thought the 2020 campaign, while we didn't get as many votes as 2016, I think we got a lot more impactful voters and volunteers and people who are going to be in it for the long haul. So uh, that makes me excited. And and to my audience who knows how much I love this, um, what you just mentioned and how you did that, get them to um, agree to stuff and then hammer them when they don't, that is Saul Linsky's, I think it's rule number three or five. I know what four... It, it could fall under number four, but that is perfect. <laughs> no, that's a, that's, a, that's a lesson I learned from Jamans. So yeah, you have you to learn it. their tactics. And Saul Linsky has the rule book, and 
just using that rule book against them is rule number four. So, <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, and, and you know, that, that lesson was taught to me by John Mons when he ran for governor, he got, uh, the, the other candidate for governor at the time to basically agree to Sunday sales. If it came to his desk that he would support yeah. Sunday sales of alcohol, even though at the time, a lot of the Republican base was, uh, what I like to call Sunday prohibitionists, uh, people who thought if we don't sell alcohol on Sunday, nobody will be a drunk on Sunday, which is the dumbest <laughs> thing ever. Um, it just makes bars, uh, I don't know, it just makes grocery stores lose a lot of money. Anyways, so uh, yeah. yeah, so that lesson there is always, always, even if you don't win the race, make sure that you're pushing yeah. the discussion in the direction you want to go to. Overton window towards liberty. And uh, Absolutely. and it's I think great, that's- it's how how socialists have gotten what they've wanted for so long because they have infiltrated the democrat party and even though they're not winning um these votes they're not winning on these bills these bills aren't getting passed they are slowly shifting people's tolerance of them and pulling people to that side that's why it's why we see so many republicans who would normally be Democrats, you know, like that's what happens. That's why you're running against a form or possibly running against a former Democrat. Uh, yeah, well, it was Herschel oh, Walker. It was Herschel Walker, a former Democrat. Oh, you're no. thinking of, you're thinking of Vernon Jones. I now, was thinking, I will, thinking of Vernon Jones. Yes. Now I will say this. Let me just Shane say that <laughs> I live in DeKalb County where Vernon Jones was the CEO of DeKalb County. Um, and let me just say this. If you look up corrupt Democrat in the dictionary, there's a picture of Vernon Jones right there. That man, I cannot think of the, it's the weirdest Democrat for Republicans to get behind because the man is a pro-life, pro-welfare spending, or pro-choice rather. He was pro-choice. I don't know if he's pro-life now, but dude is a, he's a, he's a pretty much a, he's a crazy dude. I would not, um, I don't understand why the MAGA base is all of a sudden in love with him. Other than the fact that he uh, he just parrots whatever Donald Trump says, and I guess that's what yeah. a certain segment of that party's base is requiring nowadays, which is kind of sad. Um, it's it's just as sad as the as the uh, the base in the Democratic Party that's just going to swallow whatever Kamala Harris and Joe Biden feed them. Even though, like, let's be real, like uh, they would be laughed out of the room twenty years ago out of the Democratic Party, uh, with some of the positions. Yeah, Joe Biden's not feeding them anything right now. Well Kamala Harris is uh, his his shit together. Yeah, I don't think he I don't think he runs in four (laughs) years. I think I think they're gonna try to push Kamala Harris in four years, but uh I I think you're right. And and honestly, whoever it is in the Libertarian Party, I really hope they get on a debate stage with her because I mean that would make the Tulsi that would make the Tulsi twenty twenty massacre um look like nothing. Um, Tulsi yeah. used to be my favorite Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> well, for everybody that they're saying in the Libertarian Party, um, who could possibly be on that stage, all the all the t- top people that you're seeing being put out there, yeah, any one of them would just light her up. It's it, it, and it wouldn't be fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's I, I I I relish that chance, like to see someone get on a great stage, <laughs> Kamala Harris, uh, who's oh. a well versed Libertarian who can spit some fire. Anyway. Um, yes. so let's move on. Let's yeah. move on to, uh, um, the supply chain issues. Cause I know that's what you're here for. Yeah. Um, so you, so your background, what's, um, like your day job besides 
uh, politics is working in supply chain, correct? Yeah. So I work in the customer service side of things. So I actually deal with a lot of the people who are on the operation side of it. But uh, I work in the customer service sector for a very large uh, container shipping liner company, basically oceanic shipping. So they take the metal boxes, they put them on the boats, and they bring them from port to port. And in our country, they'll even uh, help facilitate the moving on the rail. And so um, I have, uh, luckily, I do not work in the LA and Long Beach sector because they're their own thing due to uh, different regulations out in California. But, uh, and that's where the worst of it is. That's where they have like 70 ships off the coast right now. Um, but I do deal with the stresses of the supply chain um, from that point of view, from the customer who is trying to get their container. Uh, I feel their stress all the time. And, uh, and so it's a, it's an issue where I think a lot of people just like to try to ascribe like a simple, like, Oh, it's government. It's just government. Government's the screwed up. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, uh, yes, I guess that's a bumper sticker, but like, there's a really a lot of nuance, especially to what's going on right now. Um, what's going on right now is kind of an unprecedented, perfect storm of supply chain interruption. And, uh, and while I'm not one to usually say, like, let's use big government, um, there is things that we can do, certainly to get government out of the way or to yes. or for government to use its power a little bit better um, to fix this issue. Um, and a lot of that, uh, you know, and, and if you want a really good um, primer for what's going on, uh, the CEO of a company called Flexport, uh, his name is Ryan Peterson. He's on Twitter. Um, yeah, he had a. Twitter thread that's kind of gone viral. Uh, and this is one that he's done later on. This is basically a great visualization. It's a great picture of what is basically going on. It's like a total cycle here. So, um, and I liken it a lot to uh, a relay race. So imagine you're running a relay race, right? And you're there, like you got, you got, you're there with a the baton, but the other person's not there or ready to take the baton. The race slows down everything slows down. So first and foremost, what happened was, is we all went on lockdown last year. Um, and through a combination of businesses closing, a lot of people were at home, um, or a lot of people were working from home. And uh, people stopped going places, they stopped going to concerts, they stopped going to movies, they stopped going to restaurants, and they started buying things. They had cash, and they needed office furniture for their new home office, or they needed a piece of exercise equipment because they can't go to the gym, or they wanted a nice uh, surround sound because they're not going to the movie theater anytime soon. So they wanted to have that movie theater experience at home or whatever. They need to buy school supplies for the kids who are learning from home, whatever it is. But whatever happened, it's due to lockdown, consumer spending went up a lot on actual physical goods. And then this was also spurred by the fact that we got stimulus cash too. So like a lot of people were like, I can't go on vacation with this $1,200, but I can buy a really nice couch or a new mattress or whatever they wanted with that, right? And so naturally, spending on physical goods went up. And so what we're seeing now is more things are being brought into this country from, especially from China, but from all over the world, world trade is moving goods at a much higher rate than it used to. And at the same time, due to COVID and labor restrictions, there are less people to handle moving them off. Um, so that's start one. So more shipments have left manufacturing hubs to come to the ports. And then truckers cannot pick up the containers from the port as fast as they're arriving because now we all have all these new goods coming in at this exponential rate. 
And so what happens is, is containers then start piling up at the port itself and there's no more room to take them off. So then the cranes stop moving. Cranes stop taking things off the ships. When that happens, well, the ships are slow to unload. Um, and they're also slow to get new containers to come on and haul the old, you know, the empty containers away. Mm -hmm. So now the cranes aren't moving. The ships are now stalling. They're not unloading fast enough. So now the ships are piling up. And ports restrict the returns of empty containers because they have no space. Their ports are full of full containers that they need to get out of there before they can bring back the empty containers to return to Asia to then fill back up again. That's how it normally goes, right? We bring in full containers and a certain number of empties leave on the boats to go back over to Asia to be filled again. Uh, so full containers can't be picked up because trucks need chassis to move them. And the chassis aren't available because there's only so many places they can put containers. And so now they're putting containers, full containers on chassis, and the chassis are just sitting there in a yard because there aren't enough trucks to move it all. And so now the lines of ships are growing. So now where we have 70 ships off the coast, hundreds of thousands of containers, tens of billions of dollars worth of goods. And of course, stores and warehouses are now running out of inventory and having to raise prices because the price of shipping is going up. But also because of the lack of inventory, demand is going up and supply is down because we just cannot get the supplies into the stores quick enough. So it's this perfect storm. And there are ways to alleviate this. Uh, one of the ways, and there are ways to not alleviate this. And I'm going to tell you really big about the not one in a second. And it's a very important not. <laughs> but the ways we can alleviate this is, first off, we can undo regulations that are unneeded. Like in LA and Long Beach, until recently, you could only stack two containers high in your yard. And uh, they recently yeah, I, upped that to four. Really, yeah. we need that up to six or eight. We need to really up the holding capacity of our container yards. It will lead to have yeah. to have more logistics in how you pull them. It will take more time to pull containers. But we need to actually physically put containers somewhere. The other thing that this guy, Ryan from Flexport, and this is where the government gets involved and libertarians might not be super happy to hear this, but we have to, we have to break this bottleneck. If we don't break this bottleneck. We're going to have a real economic collapse on our hands. And so there is time where we can say, you know what? The national guard has a lot of chassis and they got a lot of people who are licensed to drive CDL trucks. We need to start insisting that every person in the national guard, we need to start mobilizing them as truck drivers. And we need to start moving yeah. these containers out of the bottleneck. It is, it is a cost to taxpayers. The higher cost to taxpayers is to let this bottleneck happen and the and the, the economy to collapse sometime first quarter next year. We have to start pushing these containers out of the way. The other, the other thing that this guy from Flexport pushes, and I don't know how realistic it is, is for there to be a piece of federal land that's big enough to hold a bunch of containers somewhere near a rail line and to basically designate that as a new federal container yard and just have rails rail cars move you know say it's 150 miles off the coast just only have rail moving that 150 miles moving containers from that 150 miles back and forth as opposed to right now they're moving containers from la 1200 miles to dallas and having to come back and if you move them off the port you can break the bottleneck at the cranes yeah. and you can keep the cranes moving so there are there are steps we can take some of which do involve yeah. government intervention to break the bottleneck. So but one of the things we can do first it, is in the regulation uh, of that, stacking containers. And, and that's one of the things that LA and Long Beach have started doing, but they can expand upon that. That's what's interesting to me. Um, 
is because I think when um, is we were in the military, we were allowed to stack um, three high, if I remember correctly. I think it was three high mm-hmm. um, overseas. But I think that was more of a crane issue because it was we only had forklifts and stuff like that. We didn't have cranes that could actually lift that high. So it got dangerous to even go up there and try to hook up and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so I think um, as much as because my background is military logistics, I was a logistics mm-hmm. officer in the army for seven years. Well, I think that, yes, those logistics officers could absolutely um, handle this. I, it's going to have to, it would have to come with deregulation because um, most people don't know this military 88 mics in the military are not CDL certified. Uh, most can... of them have to get CDL certified to get out. Yeah. So well, there we, would have we, to be deregulation to say if you have a military driver's license that has these types of low boys and stuff like that on there, you can go ahead and do this. So it's going to take that type of deregulation too. Yeah, and you know what? That is um, that's something that could probably be done. You know, and, and especially in an emergency situation like this. Yeah. That's something that can be looked at, right? That's deregulation. That's getting the government out of the way and getting the containers to yeah. move. Um, yeah. The other thing is, is that um, L.A. and Long Beach. Again, with the uh, the ports of LA and Long Beach, they're now stressing them to stay open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, that is basically how every other major port in the world works. It's due to labor and union regulations that they are only open five days a week for the whatever it is, hours a day, not 24 hours a day. Um, so that's another area where I'm sure labor unions are not very happy about it. But if we could just join the rest of the world and having 24-7 ports, uh, that might help things move things along as well. Yep. Um, and then... Yeah, I- in my in my video, I definitely I stress more the fact is how we got into this mess, um, and it was government that got us into this mess. Um, and there might have to there has to be some deregulation to come out of there to get mm-hmm. us out of this mess. Um, it's not like we can just get rid of Port Authority right now and say, "Oh, you're good," and we'll just take yeah. it over privately and get us out of this mess. I, it, government's going to have to work. To, to do that right now but it was also you that showed me that um private companies and stuff like that are uh are starting to do their their own um ports and stuff like that with amazon yeah. open up in new jersey and everything like that well and then you know they say walmart and costco they're starting to they're starting to charter their own ships and then the thing that i've heard is uh someone said you know it's only a matter of time before amazon decides to open up their own ports and starts to do their yeah. own uh dredging well, they, got the, they got the airport they got the the the, the airport in uh in newark yeah so that's why it's only a matter of time before they have a seaport one day now yeah. here's the big let's talk about the big not the thing that they should not do <laughs> that will not fix things that will only make things worse more expensive for the consumer in the end do not do this now this rule will go into effect on the 15th unless people can convince la and long beach to not do it because this is attack on, attacks on all American businesses and consumers. Um, what they're trying to do is put fees into effect for not picking up your container at the time or on time at these ports will uh, go up by $100 every day. So by day 30, the charge is $46,500 per container. That is an exponential price growth. And if you think that the uh, Walmarts and the... Costco's and the Amazons and whoever is buying these containers, all the businesses that are getting these containers are just going to absorb that cost. Uh, that's a fallacy. I have, no. I have beachfront property in Arizona to sell you because <laughs> no, they're going to pass that cost onto you, the consumer. 
So when the Port Authority is doing this to make a little extra scratch out of this supply chain crisis, what they're doing is they're taxing every single American business and by extension, every single American consumer. That's you, me, your mom, your dad, your grandma. Everybody is going to be paying more for things in a time when the dollar is being inflated and it's actually buying less. So I encourage everyone who is watching this to get in touch with the governments of LA and Long Beach and encourage them to pressure the Port Authority to not impose these fees because uh, frankly, we cannot afford them at this time. We have other things to spend our money on than the uh, the back-end fees at LA and Long Beach, which, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't think these fees are gonna move things. It's not gonna make magically more trucks appear. It's not gonna magically make more train cars suddenly appear. You know, no, it's just going to make more of this. Um, uh, some pictures I saw of some of the people that were stocking shelves, mm-hmm. um, posting uh, posting pictures of what inflation really looks like. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So unless you're going to 5.9% raise this year, you actually uh, got a pay cut based on how much your dollar spends so far. Yeah. So uh, just remember that, people. Um, and... Part of this is the fact that it is more expensive to move things right now because of the supply chain issue. Now, the certain part of this is the market, right? The market should be having things more expensive as there's more demand and less supply. And overall, eventually this will say encourage people to buy larger fleets of trucks, hire more truckers, bring about more rail cars. Over the long haul, a market will, and it will also slow consumer spending. It'll say, yeah. whoa, 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 you guys are heating the market up too much with all this. Slow down. That will that is a market thing that's going to happen. But what's happening right now is it's going to get exponentially worse if we just impose fees that are basically a tax on every single consumer in this country. We need to be trying to make trade less expensive and more efficient. Uh, things like ending the Jones Act, not going to really help here, but in the long run, something we can do in shipping to make yeah. uh, make products cheaper for those who live in Puerto Rico and on the islands and other territories. Um, so yeah. That yeah. it is a crisis, but at the I hope that people look at this and they and then when they look at that that little chart right there, they understand it's not as simple. It's not as simple as like, well, just cut one thing out. It's like there's a lot of things that have to go into this, and um, it's not going to solve itself completely. There will be a little bit of a reprieve in February when they have Chinese New Year because uh, they close the factories for like two weeks. Yeah. So for two weeks, there's not going to be stuff getting made and shipped out. So. There'll be a little bit of a reprieve there, but I really don't see this completely clearing up until well into 2023. Um, so what I encourage people to do is to shop wise, shop smart, um, and don't hoard. Hoarding is stupid, but um, do make sure that you have the necessities you need before you kind of spend on things you don't need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what we're seeing too is other states. Um, Texas, for one, has been like, hey, um, we got ports open sent here. Um, same with most of the East Coast states. Um, mm-hmm. One of the ways that they could do this is to is to open up the canal for a, the Panama Canal a little bit and uh, and see if we can push some of those those that fleet through there. I mean, we built it for a reason. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I imagine that's what's going to happen is is there's going to be some diverting of you know some of these major shipping companies are going to start diverting their cargo to other places. They're going to change their shipping routes. I imagine. I mean, it might happen. Like. The thing is, is a lot of these shipping routes are built in. So they're they're yeah. they're kind of automatically there. And it's not just one company that does it. A lot of a lot of these companies uh, put their containers on other ships. You know, they they work together to make sure things move. 
So it's not, it, it is not something that can change in a dime. But in emergencies, you know, we saw last year when the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal, some ships went literally around the, the bottom of South Africa, like the old school Magellan days, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that was the way to get cargo moving. Um, and, and then it's a gamble, right? It's like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, adds X number of days, but how many days is this ship going to be stuck on the Suez? So yeah, it's a gamble. There, and, there's the and trade-off. You're going to have to think about that. Like, I am not super into the whole, I don't really, uh, I'm not um, super, super into the actual logistical shipping lanes of it, like how those work. And how those are just, you know, how, how those can be adjusted. Again, most things in shipping, it's a large ship. It takes a, it's a large ship, small rudder. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to move it one way or the other. Um, yeah. And that, that is, yeah, it's, is, it's a trade-off because you could, you could add truckers to the road. We have licensed truckers who quit the industry. We have a lot. Like this is when I brought up that there is a trucker shortage. I had truckers saying, we're not sure we have enough people. I'm like, well, you don't have enough people to um, sacrifice, you know, suffice the demand that we have of trucker that we need truckers right now. They said, well, people quit the industry. So they're licensed, but they're not active. And I'm like, because and it, and it comes down to pay and benefits and stuff like that. So companies can spend. It's going to show up still on the yeah, back there's end. There's hiring going on. Trust me. There will be hiring yeah. going on for truck drivers. And, um, you know, I think it again. It's not going to be an easy solve. It's not going to be something that happens quickly. But uh, just so you know, and this is like you know, uh, shipping survived two world wars. It survived the Spanish flu. It survived nine eleven. Ships will keep moving. Containers will keep arriving. It's just a matter of breaking the bottleneck and getting them here quicker and more efficiently. Yep. Um, so, you know, um, we can we can start working on that stuff. And I really think um, yeah. there are solutions out there that both the private industry, like you said, hiring more truckers, paying a little bit better, getting those getting those people back on the roads. Yep. Um, that's something that can be happening as well as there is there is a role because in international trade, uh, the government does play a role. It's just the way it is. You know, as Absolutely. libertarian as I am, there is a role for government to play in international trade. It does not happen yeah. just magically. So uh, I mean, a lot of this comes down. I mean, COVID wreaked havoc on a lot of this. Um, and it doesn't help that you have somebody that, you know, you have Pete Buttigieg who is not qualified for the position was only hired because, you know, he's gay. And that's what, that's what happens. That's what tends uh, to happen. I haven't think it was like because that. he was gay and popular. Um, with yeah. Being well, that's true. Base. Yeah. He's young, photogenic. Um, yeah. He picks up a lot of boxes for uh, but someone. You're, but you're right. Of, but, but transportation secretary. I don't know how well did he do the roads in South yeah. like how, <laughs> like what did he really do to say that? Like there, there's Wait, probably, he probably think a list of a thousand him. people. There's probably a list of a hundred LGBT people who are more qualified yeah. to be transportation yeah. secretary than Pete Buttigieg. He, he was um, hired for optics and that is the, the biggest thing with it. Um, hell, I could go in there and do a, a, a lot better job than this. Um, like I said, I mean, my I, my degrees in logistics management and I did seven years in the army. Now, I'll tell you that, like you said, National Guard and we're not fighting in Afghanistan anymore. So we have some sustainment brigades that could uh, that could absolutely go. And we have training in port openings like 
because we we can open our own ports and stuff like that. So that's interesting that they haven't even tapped into that that resource of a, a sustained brigade um, opening ports on the on the East Coast. Um, it'd be interesting. And my uh, one of my old, actually my first battalion commander, actually a, a mentor of mine, is the um, the commander of the department or the defense logistics agency so i maybe i should reach out to him i don't know you ever want to talk to somebody about military logistics just a side note here you want to talk to somebody about military logistics ken armstrong he ran for uh president and vp last uh, election cycle for the lp uh okay. he he did the he did logistics for the coast guard um so mm -hmm. he's a great guy to talk about that kind of stuff you know um yeah worked out in the pelagy islands i believe is where it was but um <laughs> cool dude side note but uh and it is interesting. I mean, you you have to be creative um, as a military logistician because you have to be able to go into austere environments again and open up your own ports. Um, I was in the 101st and the 82nd, so a lot of our stuff had to be done by air. Um, in the 82nd, you had to know how to you had to jump into an area of operations into a airfield secure it so you can start bringing in logistics and that's the type of coordination that we used to do so there's a lot that can happen like i said we we trained even in the captain's career course on how to pick a spot for uh, a port of entry um to bring in tanks and everything like that so they have the equipment they they, they know um they can do it there's um a boat crew um in hawaii that can can um I mean, there's that they can open up ports for them to be able to carry cargo as well, but that's not really the issue. It's more the unloading issue and everything like that. But well, it'd be interesting well, to see what they can do. We are uh, we are getting about towards the hour mark, and I do uh, I do want to make your... sure I plug I want to make sure I plug some things. Okay. Um, so first and foremost, it. I'm the chair of Libertarian Party of Atlanta. So if you are a libertarian who lives in the Atlanta area. Uh, Sunday, we'll be doing our park cleanup. We do it every first Sunday of the month at Phoenix 2 Park from 12 to 1. Um, it is a way we've adopted the park, and it is a way for us to show that libertarians uh, believe in getting out there and doing the work ourselves, not asking government to clean up the green spaces. We can make sure our parks are nice and clean without uh, having a failing government system provide that for us at the expense of the taxpayer. We can do it ourselves. And that's one way to live the libertarian philosophy. Um, we also... We do our monthly meetings at Manuel's Tavern, uh, the second Sunday of every month. So that'll be uh, not this coming Sunday. Let me pull my calendar. That will be Sunday uh, the 14th. Yeah, Sunday the 14th um, from 2 to 4. So come on out to Manuel's meetup. In December, we're actually going to do our LP of Atlanta convention at Manuel's. Um, that'll be the second Sunday of December, where um, I'm hoping some folks will show up who want to be the next chair and vice chair and so on of LP Atlanta, because I have plans for 2022. <laughs> also, I no longer technically live in Atlanta. So I would really like it if somebody who is in Atlanta could come out and uh, kind of take the reins of that, uh, of that fledgling uh, affiliate and grow it to the prominence that it deserves to be grown to. I also want to shout out uh, a couple and one more organization that I work for. I'm the fundraising director of outright libertarians. We are a group, uh, we are a uh, nonprofit whose purpose is to bridge the divide between the LGBT community and the Libertarian Party. We seek to educate the LGBT community about liberty and educate libertarians about uh, the LGBT community so that they can, uh, you know, 
at least use the right language and uh, kind of approach things and, and know how to talk to LGBT people. If you know, some people have never met LGBT people, amazingly enough, yeah. or maybe they just don't know. <laughs> but uh, regardless, we're trying to bridge that gap. So outright libertarians, you can follow them on Twitter. Uh, they're also at Outright USA. Please join, be a donor. I'm the fundraising director. Every dollar we make looks good on me. So uh, join them, give them money. And then last but not least, uh, follow me on Facebook at Chase Oliver hyphen libertarian. You're going to see a lot more political stuff coming out of that page soon as 2022 gears up and uh, at Chase for Liberty on Twitter. Um, I am finally active on Twitter. I was not, I was hesitant for like 10 years and I finally got into Twitter this year. So there we are. Um, but yeah, that's my plugs. But uh, my main <laughs> mission, that I, my main thing that I want to give out to anybody is uh, get involved in the Libertarian Party if you're someone who believes in liberty, be it in your uh, the National Party, your state party, your local affiliate. Please get involved. Uh, please remember that we have a lot more in common than we have in differences in our party. Um, there will be infighting. There's always infighting in every party. Um, but basically, try to approach each other, put each other in each other's shoes, uh, be respectful, love each other, and uh, that's how we're going to win the day, and that's where we're, how we're going to set the world free in our lifetime is uh, together uh, harnessing the energy of like love and uh, compassion and empathy. That's how we're going to win. That's how the world will be set free. And uh, that's going to be my message throughout 2022. So if you also want to get involved in that, perfect. Uh, get with me. I'm going to be needing volunteers and people all yep. across the state. Yep. And, and, and that goes with anybody, no matter where you're at. Um, I was actually just having the same conversation on Twitter yesterday. Um, people, getting discouraged because they see the online infighting. And if you watch my interview with Spike a few months ago, that's part of our issues is, and that pushes people away from the party. But remember when you actually go meet people in person, like we do at Minwell's, um, I've been up there a couple of times um, as well. Um, we, it, 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 it takes a lot of that miscommunication that happens online. It also takes away, it, it humanizes people. I think too, too many times when you just see writing on a keyboard, um, it's not, they're not like you, you don't think of them as a person when you're attacking them. Um, you think of them as their ideology. Um, and so that's never helpful and it drives people away. Mm -hmm. Um, and like he said, I, I like to go up to Manuel's, um, I won't be doing much because, um, and my channel might even be taking a little bit of a break because I will be flying to Austin next Saturday, um, for surgery. And then, um, but you guys can uh, follow me on Instagram, um, and Twitter, Sarah Higdon underscore, I'll kind of be like providing updates and stuff on there as to where I'm at and what's going on with this channel. Um, make sure you guys click the like and subscribe button below here. Um, and then Tuesday, come back Tuesday. I have, it's probably the most important uh, video I have ever done on this channel uh, and will probably do for a very, very long time. I'm having... Um, um, human trafficking survivor uh, and advocate Eliza Blue on. Uh, we are raising money for uh, for trafficking organizations or anti-trafficking organizations. Um, so come join, get into the chat. Um, it's really an important one. It's at seven o'clock on Tuesday. And I will see you guys next time. Peace out.